Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Hi, you're listening to After Party Pod, and this is the last time I'm ever going to say that because this is officially the episode where I'm announcing that I'm changing the name. Don't get upset. Alcoholics don't like change. The new name is Recover Girl, but I'm not going to, right now, it's After Party Pod. This is where I'm like, you know, easing you into it. The next episode, don't get freaked out. It's all, I'm just going to start calling it Recover Girl. So anyway, my name is Anna David. This is a podcast all about addiction and recovery, and I am just going to get right into it. Um, my guest today, do you know I still don't know if it's Mara or Mara? It's Mara like Sarah, or like marijuana. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Which everyone will, when I say it like that, everyone gets it. Yeah, exactly. Now yeah. I'll never forget it. Right. Mara Shapshe. <laughs> fun name to say. Did you take your husband's name? No. Okay. Interesting. I took my first husband's name and not my second. You took Shapsha? You were not born with that? Oh, no. That's my maiden name. Oh, I see. I see. You went back. Yeah. Um, so we've got a multi-married woman here. <laughs> this is all they know so far. Um, so so tell my listeners what you would like them to know about you. Who are you? Who am I? Um, well, I'm sober. April 2nd will be 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a writer. I am a comedian, I'm a baker, and I'm a mental health advocate. Yes, the baking thing and the mental health advocacy thing are very intertwined, weirdly. They are weirdly intertwined. <laughs> yeah, I started a baking business and a, um, a web series called Stand Up Kitchen. Great. But okay, but, but they're, what are they called? Depressed cakes. Tell me what they're called again. Well, they're, I have a line of baked goods to raise awareness for mental health. And it's a long, how I got to this place is like really weird. I've always been a baker, but like the mental health thing is, as we'll get to probably mm-hmm. um, when I live with Carrie Fisher and and um, when she died, I wrote this article for the LA Magazine. Right. You know, you're making me wish. Okay, we're going to go through it. Okay. Yeah. So what happened to you is like a little bit of your story. Born in Boston? Born in Newton, Massachusetts. Born in Newton. There's a hospital in Newton. Who Newton knew? Wellesley. Okay. Good yep. to know. My college roommate lived in Wellesley, so I spent some time. Oh, yeah, yeah. You there. Um, and um, grew up and tell us what happened. Well, I was a we- really weird kid, as most alcoholics, I think, are. I was like super strange. I was very creative, but we moved from my dad was in the army in Seattle, a doctor in the army, and we moved back to. Um, Massachusetts. I was born in Newton and then we moved to, to uh, Seattle and we moved to this town called Wayland, Massachusetts mm-hmm. and it was like an all white town like with girls named Muffy 
and like Jennifer and they so had not like just white but real white real white like super like they had those ski jump noses mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and they like we were the only Jewish family we moved in and I I look like a witch and they would call me like witch and I was not athletic how oh god me neither how old were you when you moved there I was in like first or second grade I think right yeah and so everybody's really into sports and their long blonde hair and their yeah. ski jump noses and and really literally the only Jewish family yeah why did your parents move there? Good school system. And my dad was a doctor. I think he was at BU, mm-hmm. Boston Medical. Mm-hmm. And so you felt alienated and you didn't fit in. Oh, I didn't fit in. And I forget, you have a brother? I have a sister, you older sister. An older sister. And was yeah. she no help? No help. My mother's a sex therapist. Yep. So it was like having this mom who's like a pill-popping sex therapist and was just wacky and narcissistic. Mm-hmm. She's not going to listen to this, I hope. Yeah. Well, um, the nice thing about narcissists is that they often don't. Right. Yeah. You're safe. There was like a lot of neglect and there was a lot of, and I was just this weird kid and my mother, I, like, I could be on fire. My mother would be like, have a good day, honey. Right. You know? Right. And, uh, and then she was like completely no boundaries. So it was like, I'm going to teach you how to give a perfect blow job at the age of 10. Right. Right. You know, and then I'm going to like, I'm going to, you know, hijack your slumber parties and we're going to, with hand mirrors. Look at our vaginas. Yeah. yeah. And that was like my, my mother. So I had this weird ass mother. I had this workaholic father, this sister who was like a, you know, really intellectual, but wanted nothing to do with me. Right. Two years older. Is that what you said? She's 19 months older. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's a professor now. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you close now or? We're, n- we're not close. But you don't hate each other. No, we don't hate each other. Yeah. We're um, just, yeah, like aliens. very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah very yeah. different. Yeah, and um, and then I know, having recently heard a little bit of your story, you know, I know that you went away, you went to Israel, yeah. and a traumatic thing happened. Yeah, I, I mean, I talk about that a lot in recovery, just because you don't need to talk about it here. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, it's kind of like what drove me into alcoholism. Yeah, I'm not ashamed of it, or you know, I. And it's kind of a big part of my story. I've been thinking a lot about it lately. When I was 15, I went on a teen tour to Israel. And I went with this girl who I wanted to be popular with. And and uh, I badmouthed her, gossiped about her. And then she got me back. And mm-hmm. she was hazing me and these girls. And they, were, and they told me to go off with this guy. And I had a really bad feeling about it. And I went off with him. And he locked me in this like abandoned dorm room. And... um. He like raped and tortured me for hours and it was like at that moment I just I just wanted to get out of there but I also was so scared you know it was like a, a weird thing you know I was really badly beaten but I was like in some ways wanting to not not for him not to be mad at me Wow. and I like had to work that out in sobriety a lot but I called my mother from from the hospital and she was like, you know, do you want me to come get you? And I said, no. And um, should she have come gotten me? Yes. But I said no. And and that was like on my, you know, I did a lot of work around that. Um, but it was when I came back from Israel back to Wayland, um, that girl badmouthed me to like everyone in the town. And, and I became this like outcast. And nobody wanted anything to do with me. And my family didn't help mm-hmm. me. And they should have, like, 
you know, pushed me into therapy or right. something, but Especially there was nothing. Especially she was a therapist. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot going wrong there, but yeah. I look at it now, like I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of work, like past life regression kind of okay. stuff. And it's really interesting to me. And it's like, I'm now an Orthodox Jew. Yeah. I got raped in my homeland. Right. When that happened, I turned my back on Judaism. I turned my back on anything Jewish. And I've come back to it. And it's a big deal for me to be Jewish now. Because I was raped by a Jewish boy. Right. By an Israeli boy. 18 years old. And um, it was the most traumatic thing that happened to me, but it also saved my life in a lot, in a lot of respects because it, it pushed me down the alcoholic and drug addiction right. train. You know, I mean, I just, drugs and alcohol saved my life at that point because I didn't have anything. I had no one to turn to, no one to talk to. I became that girl in high school, like with the nose ring and the dyed hair, dyed black right. hair and the, it was angry and- Smoking cigarettes. Smoking everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was that goth girl. So you were the goth girl, and were you already l literally smoking drugs, like meth and stuff? No, I was dabbling with heroin, though. How are you getting it? Um, we had a drug, we had lots of drug dealers in town. Right. At that good school that you moved there Right. For. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I would go off to New York City. Uh-huh. I had a an ex-con boyfriend. Okay. That I was totally in love with when i was like 17 and i would run off to new york city mm -hmm. and um do drugs with him and live like sid and nancy style mm -hmm. in the east village mm -hmm. and did you think of it as fun did you think of it as an escape how did you look at it i was it was um it was an escape like i was never into uppers like yeah. i'd never wanted to experience life i just wanted to escape from it right i wanted you know, opiates were my thing. Right. Opiates and alcohol. Yeah. Just anything that would take me out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so that progressed. Um, where did you, you went away for college? I went to NYU film school. Okay. And so drinking and doing drugs all through that. Yeah. And I was like, I was like a very bad go-go dancer. Oh, that's right. <laughs> in the city. Um because it's hard to be a feminist, take off your clothes. and Right. So you would get into like arguments with them. About I would what? literally fight with people. Physically? Yeah. Because I was like, <laughs> stop looking at me. You know, and they're like, you're here to, for me to look at. And I'm like, I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to put my heel I'm sorry, throat. is go-go dancing same thing as stripping? I don't even know. It's kind of different. I was in a cage. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Are go-go dancers always in cages? No. No. Okay. You know, it was like minimal clothing, but really it's like it's taking off your clothes. Right. 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 And how long did that last? Oh, I, I did it like a few times because I got fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and you, but you graduated from school. I did. I did pretty well at NYU. Um, well, I did okay. I mean, I'm good at the arts, but like, you know, the other classes, forget oh, yeah, it. Annoying. Yeah. What did um, you do? What did you major in? Film. Okay. I was a directing major and then I had a journalism was my minor. And then you made your way out to LA. Yes, because I was on this timeline as most women have. Like, yeah, I never had that. Oh my God. I was like, gotta get married by the time I'm 30. Right. Have kids by 34. Right. And I was like on that 
So why wow. come to LA then for that? Well, I also wanted to be famous. Yeah. Because I thought that fame would fix me. Yeah. I think many people think that. And I've always been around fame. Yeah. Even as a kid? Well, always been attracted to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess so. My dad um, was one of the doctors for the Celtics. Okay. So we, I yeah. was always around the basketball players. And it's that reflective glory, isn't it? It's sort of like, I don't feel seen. You know, I don't know. I, I used to have a real big thing with um, with this attraction to fame. Yeah. And I dated people like that. And I worked in celebrity journalism. And I always felt like, oh, I didn't, wa- I didn't want to be the chosen one. I wanted to be the chosen one's chosen one. That meant more to me. Do you relate to that? I do relate to that. I relate to not being enough yeah. and thinking that, um, like it says, I can't say in the big book, but um, like it says in our in recovery, like you know, prove to the world that I was important. Yeah. Um, because I grew up in this town where nobody really wanted anything to do with me. I was a freak. I'll show you. Right. I'll become a famous such and such, and that will fix it. Right. And then when those dreams died. Because the drug addiction and alcoholism got too much, um, I didn't know who I was. Right, like I didn't know what to do. Completely fell apart. So, what made you? Did you go to treatment? Yeah, I went to Las Encinas, mm-hmm. and then I went to Beit Shuva. Okay, and then I went to Las Encinas again. <laughs> but with uh, broken up. No, all around the same time, I relapsed at Beit Shuva because it reminded me of Israel. Wow, okay. And then you went back to Las Encinas. I went back to Las Encinas, and then I went to Casa de las Amigas. Okay. And what made you go the first time? The first time I was, I married this man, who I will not say his name, but he was, it was really Jewish mm-hmm. name, and he was half Jewish, not the right half. Mm-hmm. But it was like Jewy Hebrew Hi, me, <laughs> Justine. And I was like, I'm going to marry you. Yeah. And the guy wanted nothing to do with me, really. I mean, he like recoiled from me when I touched him. How did you get him to agree? I literally forced him. I, I found a ring. He never asked me to marry him. But okay. But he was with you. He was spending time with you. Yeah. Yet he was recoiling when you touched him. Yes. Okay, whatever. Your your will was strong enough for to override that. Oh yeah, it was strong enough to override because I was like, I got this timeline. I yeah, got to yeah. have babies and be married. Doesn't I don't care who it is. So you guys were together for how long before you got married? Three years. Three years of will. Yeah. And then what happened? I literally found a ring and I just started planning the wedding. Uh huh. And it was at my parents' rooftop. He was a flight risk. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like right. Everyone, was, everyone was like hedging bets. Like, is he going to show up? Is he going to be there? <laughs> right. Is he going to like take off? I'm going to be like runaway bride. You know, what is it going to be? Right. And he ended up showing up, which was great. Mm-hmm. I was completely loaded. And um, he was like sweating profusely under the hoop. I made it. I even like made us get married in a Jewish wedding. He didn't right. want that either. Right. And um, yeah, I, I made him get married to me and... And I just, the things were weird after we got married and my drug addiction became worse because he just would never, I wanted to have kids and I was a complete mess, but I really wanted, I was getting to, you know, that age, like right. early thirties. And, um, and I just didn't know what was going on. And I was like, are you gay? I mean, what's going on here? And he's like, no, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. And I don't, to this day, I don't know if he really is. I thought he was. I thought that was a He never came fact. out. Okay. 
But I did find some stuff that it was suggested. not that suggested it. I'm not saying that he is or isn't. That's up to up to him. Right, right, right. But in my mind, I was like, there was no sex. There was nothing. Right. Had there been sex ever? He was sporadic at best. Mm-hmm. And I was like, did I just? I married a, a gay guy. I'm not sure what I did. Either way, I'm on a shit ton of drugs. I got to get off it if I want to get pregnant. And I was driving down a one-way street the wrong way because I quit. I quit all my all the drugs and alcohol I was doing. And I was like, I don't know what it was, like a miracle. I just decided I I need to get sober. And so you went to treatment. I went to Las Encinas. I didn't take it seriously though. Mm-hmm. That was like it's a vacation. I'm not a drug addict, right? Alcoholic. It's, I'm just a, it's just a vacation, right? And I was trying to get my husband to like, you know. Join you? To even come visit me. Uh-huh. And he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And there was no help that I got from him. And it was like I was left there. And, and I called my mother, I remember, from rehab. And she was like, and, you know, there was something always wrong with you. Mm. You know, you're not right in the head. Hmm. And I was alone again. Mm-hmm. You know, just left off there. And um, <clears throat> I didn't take it seriously until... Um, Casa de las mm-hmm. Amigas, which was like a behavioral rehab. And um, they literally shit, the, it like kicked the shit out of me. What does that mean? Well, I had like a roommate who was a crackhead prostitute, Native American. Mm-hmm. And she didn't like that I was reading F. Scott Fitzgerald at night. And she was like, she beat me up the next day because I was keeping her up with my reading. Oh, my God. She got kicked out, but that was the kind of place it was. It was, like, hardcore. Right. I felt like I was in prison. But it got you serious about it all. It's also was a great leveling field, you know. Right. And I realized that I was no better than anybody else there, whether I went to jail or not. Right. And so I really took it seriously after that. When I got out of, um, of CASA, I lost my job. My husband kicked me out, and I was sleeping in my car. For how long? Not that long, like maybe a month or two. And um, I don't know why. I just I was at a meeting, and I <clears throat> I saw Carrie Fisher at the meeting, and I like completely adored her mm-hmm. as a writer. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about Star Wars that much, right? Right. But as a writer, I completely like adored her. And she was like, she had this like fuchsia hair at the time and she was running around with no like shoes on. And, and I was, I smelled like I was, mm. I was peeing in Starbucks cups. I was, couldn't shower. I was just disgusting. And I don't know what it is, but I just went up to her and I said, will you help me? Hmm. I told her what was going on. I worked for this billionaire. He fired me. And she goes, I know that billionaire. And she said, come live with me. And this is within like five minutes of talking to her. Yeah. Less than actually. And so you did that. I did. I I moved into her house. All I had was like trash bags full of clothes. Oh, and I had some vibrators for my mother, like mm-hmm. a box of vibrators. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks, mom. That have gone missing. I, I, <laughs> they're missing at, Car- at Carrie's house. I don't they're know where they there. are. I right. didn't see them featured in the documentary, though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I moved in with Carrie and... And were you in a guest house? 
Well, I lived, it's like Debbie lived in the front house. Well, yeah, that documentary, by the way, must yeah. have been very surreal for you. I couldn't watch it. You didn't, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so so Debbie lives in, lived in one house, Carrie lived in another, and then it looked like there were other things on the ground. Yeah, Carrie lived in the main house. There was a side house where there were two two kind of houses, and my friend Cindy lived in the in the first one, and then Sean Lennon lived in the second mm-hmm. one. And when Sean was on tour, I would be in there. In, in there. Yeah. And it was like all of his stuff. And I was a big Beatles fan, still am. Right. And so I, I like used his soap on my <laughs> lady flower. You know, I would put on his clothes. <laughs> Hope Sean's not listening yeah. to this. Yeah. Hey, Sean, are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would play his guitar. I was like, I was like really, it was bizarre. Yeah. You know? And I was, I would stay in that room and then. And then, like, when Sean was back, I would move into either the pool house or would sleep in Carrie's bed with her. Okay. Okay. Um, and and how long were you there in all? I think, like, six months. And and so, was it, like, a sort of codependent thing? I mean, the fact that you you guys were, like, sleeping in the same bed, you know what I mean? Was it... I have done a lot of thought on, on this, and I... I feel like Carrie and I were soulmates, mm-hmm. like like soul sisters. There's something I can't explain about our relationship. It was very, like we would finish each other's sentences. We would confide in each other. I mean, I literally was, my life was falling apart. I mean, she saved my life. Right. Like I was on medication and my sponsor took me off the medication. Oh, that's when that happened? Yeah. And so I was crazy. Yeah. And then I was like, I just didn't have anything or anybody. I know. I mean, I was like the lowest you can get. Right. And I was like, I'm going to commit suicide. I cannot live like this. She, and she would literally talk me off a ledge. And we'd like, she'd feed me ice cream and we'd chain smoke in her bed and, and mm-hmm. talk about our gay husbands right right and drug addiction and and mental health and why do you think she did this i think i think we were soul right she saw herself in you well i think she's a very generous person i've seen her do this with other people but i think that we just had that a very strange connection right I mean, she died on my birthday. Really? So it was December, what was it? 27th. 27th. That's my brother's birthday. Um, and she gave me this Jewish star that I'm wearing. Oh, wow. And that's right. I remember you saying that before, and you wear it every day. Wear it every day. And um, and then it was just time for you to go off on your own. You kind of had healed. Is that is that why you left? Yeah, I mean, I would love to say that everything went really awesome at the house. Mm-hmm. I think I got healthy mm-hmm. or healthier mm-hmm. and I didn't need that kind of support anymore. Mm-hmm. And things got really wacky at the house. How so? <laughs> well, and there were also think like when celebrities would come over, mm-hmm. they would treat me like the help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I'm not the help. They'd be like, can you just go get me some coffee? Yeah. And these are big celebrities too. Right. Ones that like went to her funeral and were, you know, that on the Golden Globes and yeah, and that's you know, I learned a lot about celebrity mm-hmm. with her, like when you're out with her, 
and people would literally push you out of the way to get to her. And it was like, and we were alone together. It was a completely different relationship. Right. But when the celebrities would come over, it would be like, you know, get me a Diet Coke. Yeah. Yeah. And you couldn't say anything to her later about it. No. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to say? Yeah. And so d- did you leave on a good note? I left on a good note. Mm-hmm. We were friends for a long time afterwards. We kind of lost touch. You did. But she's probably one of the most important people in my life. Like, I, I try not to cry when I talk about her because she meant that much to me. You know, and when someone is there for you and is like your guardian angel and picks you up when you have nothing, when you want to kill yourself, I can't, I can't ever repay her for that. And I think a lot of people don't know just how great she was, but the circumstances there just were not healthy anymore for me. And um, her death shocked you? I will say on December 17th, I had a feeling something was going to happen. Right. I, was there, she was in a court case too or something. She was in a court case and I didn't, I think Carrie has unfinished business here. What do you mean? I think there are things like she died before she could finish some things. Mm-hmm. And that court case I think was one of them. So December 17th, 10 days before you have this feeling. Premonition. Okay. And you just I felt it. Something's. Did you say she's going to die? I said something's going to happen to her. Did you say it out loud to your husband or something? Yes. And I also was like, and you can check out my Instagram on December seventeenth. I was like, I'm going to post a picture of us because I feel like something's going to happen. And I did that on Instagram on December seventeenth. And then, and then you heard that she died the same way everybody did on the news. You mean? Well, I was getting texts from my friend Cindy. Um, and I, I, I knew, I just knew something was going to happen. And when I got the news about the plane, I was like, she's not going to make it. Mm. If, well, I said, she probably will make it, but if she's brain dead, they won't keep her alive. Mm-hmm. Or if she has any brain damage whatsoever, she would not want to live like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think they just, I think they just pulled the plug. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she could have survived it. Mm-hmm. honestly and um you wrote something after she died who did you write it for la magazine you wrote it for la magazine and people saw that tell me what happened from there well it's a weird thing because like before she died i would never talk about it right and i didn't want anyone to know because i didn't want anyone to think that i was using like the celebrity to get you know like famous or something I just had a really weird thing about that. I, you know, I've been working in the industry for a long time. I've worked for, for celebrities and all that. I just didn't want them thinking that I was doing that. I didn't want to do that to her either. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of kept her name out of anything I was doing. And um, I remember I wrote an article for you for The Fix about it. That's right, but we didn't name her. We didn't name her. Right. I didn't right. want to do that. Yeah. And then when she died, I was like, I feel like I need to say yeah. how important she was and how I wanted to continue her work, too. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that there was a connection between us that needed to be, you know, said. Mm-hmm. 
and I, and I wanted the world to know just how generous and kind and loving she was. So you wrote this piece, and then what happened? I wrote this piece, and it went like viral, mm-hmm. and people just started contacting me, mm-hmm. including mental health organizations, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Because Carrie and I had the mental illness thing in common, mm-hmm. you know, when she was going through shock therapy, I would stand behind her and write down everything because she would lose." months of you know weeks of memory mm-hmm. um but i was with her for the sh- for the shock therapy and i was with her for her episodes of you know depression or man or mania, mania. Right. when she was manic that was the best times because she would go shopping and you get everything right um but so we had that in common i have like panic disorder and, and anxiety mm-hmm. and um that's what i was on medication for and and so we had the mental illness we had the we had the addiction, we had the gay husbands, we had the writing, we had the humor, we had everything mm-hmm, in common. Mm-hmm. And um, so these mental health organizations started contacting me. Will you come help us mm-hmm. carry on her work? And I'm like, of course. Mm-hmm. And so this one place contacted me called This Is My Brave. Mm-hmm. And they tell stories of mental health. And then they have this pop-up shop called The Depressed Cake Shop. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I had the idea of doing a bipolar bake sale mm-hmm. before I did the depressed cake mm-hmm. shop thing. So I was doing a um, like a show for Carrie. And um, so I made these paranoid pop tarts mm-hmm. <laughs> for the for the event. This is my brave event in Santa Monica. And they went out, like over huge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, well, and then this is my brave asked me to start producing shows for them. Mm-hmm. So I was like, OK, I'll produce shows. And I was like, well. I was starting a baking business anyways. Why don't I just start doing these mental health mm-hmm. baked goods and then raise awareness for mental health mm-hmm. um, in a way that's different than, because it's a stigma that people don't like to talk about. Um, and they talk about mental illness, but really not mental health. And they also don't talk about the spiritual aspect of it. Right. You know, like I, I still have anxiety today, but I use spiritual methods. Oh, you don't take medication anymore? I'm not on medication. And so when you say you use spiritual methods, what does that mean? Meditation, mm-hmm. prayer, breathing exercises, mm-hmm. the power of now, mm-hmm. um, anything that gets me back into the moment, into the present moment. Do you practice a certain kind of meditation? I go to the Self-Realization Fellowship. Okay. So I do their Kriya Yoga. Uh-huh. And um, I go on their retreats. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very into, any. I'm a seeker. Mm-hmm. You know, anything spiritual, I'm, I'm totally into and I think that, that we're not looking at the spiritual aspects of mental illness, too. I think drug companies are sponsoring a lot of these, like, mental health organizations and uh, people are just throwing medication at it. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it is so much harder for somebody to say, um, I suffer from depression over saying I'm an alcoholic? Or do you think that's true? I think there's a lot of dual diagnosis people. For sure. I'm one of those. Right, me too. But would you say that there that I know personally it's been a lot easier for me to talk about being an alcoholic and an addict. I still feel residual shame about the mental illness, even though I talk about it. Oh yeah, because no one wants to be crazy. Yeah. Especially women. Yeah, I know, right? Because like the, our biggest fear is like one of my biggest fears was like I'm gonna be locked up. Right, right, right. Or that people are gonna go, Oh, well, you're all women are hysterical and crazy, right. like old Freudian sort of thinking about it. Um yeah, but I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we live in Los Angeles where being an alcoholic is sort of like you throw a stone, you're going to hit 12 of them. It's cool to be an alcoholic or yeah. drug addict. Yeah, and there's nothing cool about being depressed. 
No, there's nothing cool about mental illness at all. Nothing cool. Except that you get to eat these cakes. That's the first cool thing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I have the line of, of baked goods like, you know, bipolar cookies and paranoid Pop-Tarts. Where and, can people get these? Well, I'm starting a crowdfund soon. Nice. And then, and I'm doing the uh, like a show as well, a web series um, and online. So it's all in the works. Yeah. And you've been doing live shows. I do stand-up comedy. Yes. So how many of those have you done? Um, you mean for mental health? Yeah. Yeah, I know you did that one with Margaret Cho. Um, well, I do shows for Radford Hall. Okay. But the next show I'm doing, which is in June, is going to be a dual diagnosis show. Okay. That's great. <laughs> so you have to suffer from both a mental illness and it helps alcoholism you- <laughs> to, to be a performer in it? No, but I'm trying to get ones that do. Yeah. Oh, well, we're, again, every, we're in Los Angeles. Right. I, every I can comic. give you a hundred names. Yeah. Um, and so, but okay, so I'm confused. So you produce shows for Radford Hall, but is that specifically involved with this mental health organization where you're no, doing No, this the is case? my Brave is is a different organization. Different thing. Yeah. This is your own thing. What's the right. name of the show? Of my show? Yeah. It's the Radford Hall Variety Show, but I, I get the next one will be the dual diagnosis show. Okay, okay. Yeah. And is there a website people can go to to find out about it? Well, go to marishapshay.com. Okay, okay. Yeah. And... um. And what else? What else is going on? What are your plans? Well, so now let's just say you found another husband who's not gay. Yes. First question I asked him. Yes. Yeah. He said no. And you said, I don't know about that. Exactly. I was like, (laughs) prove it. Um, Yeah. He's not gay. He's also in the program. Um, And you've been together like six or seven years? Five years. Five years. Yeah. We met just randomly. Okay. I mean, this is the thing, like when I tell my my sponsees or anybody else, like just and, and you had Pat Allen on your show. I yeah. went to, I literally went to Pat Allen for a year. Those Thursday night things or whatever. The Monday night. Monday lectures. night. Yeah. I read her getting to I do. Yep. And yes, it is antiquated, but I followed it to a T. Yeah. And I followed her lectures. I did it for a year and I went to SLAA. I worked on myself. Yeah. And I learned how to date. You consider going to Pat Allen working on yourself? I, well, just, I say without I learned, any judgment. Well, SLA in conjunction with that. Yeah. Um, her lectures are fantastic, but I learned how to get to know, how, how to date, how to, how to sort of like have self-worth. Right. Yeah. Did she, t- did you learn that there? Well, I learned a bit of that there. Right. Because I wasn't dating like, I was dating like I was desperate. Right, right, right. Instead of dating like, oh, I, what, I offer a lot. Yeah. From that, de- you were from that deprivation mentality. Yeah, so I would like go out with a guy, sleep with him because that's all I thought I had to yeah. offer. Yeah, and then like expect him to be in a relationship with me. Right. Um my my only issue with all of that because I got um I got sort of dragged to a couple of those things. It was just like first of all, someone saying this is the way you do it. Um, you know what's wonderful about the kind of recovery that like you know we're involved in is that it's. A whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of suggestions that make a lot of sense. And you're never quite wrong. Yeah. Not doing it wrong. You know, it's just sort of like, oh, we suggest you do it this way. And there was something very shaming about that. And also, it was, I think your point is a good one. You learn how to maybe date from that. But it's it still seemed like it was about the other person. It was like, you may want to call him or whatever, but don't do that. Like, how about let's teach it so that you have the self-worth that you don't want to call him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I won't, I'll say I learned how to date there, yeah. but I learned 
more about my, myself in right. SLAA and doing the work by being by myself for the first time. Because I'm a serial, was a serial dater. Right. Monogamist or whatever. Right, right. Um, but I learned how to be alone. Yeah. Like I dated myself. You right. Know, like I would like, let's go on to the movies today, Mara. Right. We're going to, you know. Right. That's what I did for like a year. It was, sounds super stupid, but I was like, it's what I had to do in order to be alone. Because my biggest fear was like, I'm going to be, al- I'm alone. Right, right. And I did that for a year. And then I was like, okay, now I know how to date. I can get back into the pool. Mm-hmm. I literally went on tons of dates. And um, with like the most rando guys, like mm-hmm. it was awful. You know, there are some real freaks out there. They'll send you a picture of their penis and you're like, <laughs> stop it. Why do guys do that? I don't understand Never happened that. To me. Really? I mean, I know I'm jinxing myself and it'll happen now. The only time it ever happened to me is... A guy I know, sober guy I know, was a photographer, took pictures of me, and then later that day sent me, he's like, oh, I just thought you'd want to see my self-portrait. And, no, no, I know, it was him, but he's like naked from the pants down and holding himself, and I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm really freaked out by that, and he was always just like, I, I don't understand why you're freaked out by that. That's the yeah. closest I came. So you All saw right. actual... Yeah, like, here's a dick pic. I'm like, yeah. no, nope. Yeah. And so I was like completely turned off by online. Yeah. So I was like, I, no more yeah. penis pictures, please. Yeah. And then randomly, I was on OkCupid, and some guy was like, he had a lot of spirituality on his site, and he was Jewish, and I was like, all right, fine, I'll go one date with this freak. Yeah, yeah. And I went on a date with him, and I was telling him about my Dalai Lama story, because- Oh, that's right. I slept next to the Dalai Lama for a week, and the Dalai Lama taught me about forgiveness, and I was talking about that, and he said, oh, I heard this story before. And I was like, what do you mean you've heard this story before? Because I heard you speak three weeks ago at a meeting. It's like we had been circling each other since childhood. He's from New York, also Orthodox Jewish, um, went to NYU, the whole thing. Did you convert through him? Was that- oh, I was always Jewish. My family's no, Orthodox. No, but Orthodox. Oh, your family's Orthodox. Yeah. Well, my dad's side is. Um, but you weren't practicing until you got married or? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went back to my religion yeah. like in the most severe way. Yeah, and now you guys, you do the whole thing. Yeah, we live Pico Robertson. Yep. I just went to the mikvah last night. Um, no, no, uh, you know, driving or anything. On well, I'm not Shomer Shabbos. We don't do the whole oh, thing. Okay. Tech, no, do you take a tech break, though? Uh, okay. I try not to do any calls on Friday and Saturday, right. but let's be honest here. I'm yeah. doing the best I can. Yeah. Um, but we got married. Well, we, we dated for like five months. We knew each other we're each other's soulmate. It's like when you get out of your own way. Yeah. And you let God in. Yeah. And you let God just do his work. If you take your hands off the reins. Yep. That's what happens. And so I just took my hands off the reins and my soulmate. Appeared. Appeared. And you've been together. Oh, yeah. We just said five, like years. five years. We, we were engaged five months later after we met and married a year after we met. And... um. My funniest memory, uh, you know, was the time I did that storytelling show where it was all women, and I was like, come, and you brought him, (laughs) and it was like a huge scandal. (laughs) I know. He was like, should I go? What am I doing here? It was, it was, yeah, it was the only storytelling show in the world where men were just simply not allowed. I think he was the first and last man ever to Oh, well, he enjoyed it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a special thing. So, and so, and, and you're still writing. Yes. Okay. What do you, what do you, we, we've got to work towards wrapping it up. So okay. what else should we let them know? Well, I'll end with a fertility, infertility okay, thing. Yeah. 
because I know you like that story of the faith versus trust. That's what you know I like that story. <laughs> yeah, so we've been trying to have a baby for like five years. Mm-hmm. And um, it has literally brought me to my knees. Like I've cut myself again. Mm-hmm. I have um, been suicidal. I've been, you know, anxiety. I like, should I go back on medication? Because uh, it just wasn't happening. I was trying to force it, make it, make it happen. I'm 30,000 in the hole from it. You know, and I was like, I just don't think I'll be okay without having a baby. And I had to get to that place where it was like, you know, you're okay no matter what. You know, society tells you that you're not okay if you don't have a husband, mm-hmm. if you don't have babies. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not, I'm in my early 40s and it's like, it's, the, all the doctors were like, yeah, it's over for you. Mm. And um, And what it, infertility has done is really forced me down the spiritual path. You can go one way or the other. You can go down, you know, darkness. You can go to light. And uh, I remember a friend of mine saying to me, like, you have no trust. You know, do you know the difference between faith and trust? And I'm like, yeah, I know. They're the same thing. I have faith. I have trust. He goes, I don't think you do. Like, faith is God can and trust is God is. You have to look at your relationship with your higher power. Um, and I, I listened to him and I was like, trust. Well, yeah, I don't trust that it's going to happen. I'm trying to make it happen, forcing it. And then I was listening to this um, speaker and he was talking about this um, great sort of analogy of what faith and trust is. Mm-hmm. And there's this uh, tightrope walker in the 1800s. His name was Blondin. And he was on this tightrope and he was like this great tightrope walker and the, like the crowds loved him. Um, he would like go into the middle of the tightrope and like, you know, make an omelet, you know. <laughs> and then one time he like uh, put his manager on his back. And then one time he had uh, a wheelbarrow and he asked the crowd like, how many of you think that I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope? And everyone's like, total faith that you can do this, complete faith, you know. And he goes, how many of you believe will get into the wheelbarrow and no one would get in the wheelbarrow and that's what trust is and so it really made me get in the wheelbarrow and say this is god's plan whatever it is that i have to trust that what's ever happening to me is for my own good Mm -hmm. and it is i mean like if i haven't gone through this journey i would never be the person i am today taking these risks that i i mean the more that you trust God, the more that you can take risks. Right. And I can't say that every day I'm really trusting, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad for this journey. You know, and, and as I said before, when I was talking about past life regression, like I'm, I'm listening to a lot of like spirit baby talks and, mm-hmm. you know, we're really like, you choose your adventure before you're born, really, is what I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, I chose the mother I have. I chose... This whole adventure that I'm doing, I chose this infertility journey and everything that I, that I'm on is for my spiritual enlightenment, for my spiritual growth. And so I really do believe that each of us is on this path for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so I'm, I'm here to like tell people about, about this and to raise awareness for, you know, mental health. You know, I don't think that Carrie and I were by accident or anything that's happened to me is by accident. Right. So it's like, you know, I have sponsees or or friends who are just like, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, don't ask why. Look at the lesson involved. Yeah. 
you know, and surrender is when you stop asking why. So good. I've never heard that. Yeah. Let's end on that. Surrender is when you stop asking why. Now, if people want to find more out about you, you have a site, marishapshay.com. Are you doing the social media stuff? Yep. Instagram, marishapshay, Facebook, um, Twitter. I also have a blog called The Self-Worth Diet. Love it. Well, thank you so much. This was a delight and a pleasure. And listener, you are listening to the very last episode of (laughs) After Party Pod. So hang in there. And next time, you're going to be listening to Recover Girl. Thanks. See you next time.